Hi, this is Dr. Steve Varga with another edition of the IDOC Focal Point Podcast. And I have the privilege of being joined by Tom Moseman. Tom is Senior Vice President of EnviroCell, whose founder is Paco Underhill. Uh, you might know him as the author of Why We Buy, The Science of Shopping, which has sold more copies than any other retail book in history. Um, EnviroCell is a pioneer in researching consumer shopping behavior in retail and service environments. They've developed a science of shopping, analyzing the interaction between people and products and people in commercial spaces. And mostly I like Tom because he's an Indiana University grad, I've discovered. So, <laughs> uh, But Tom is going to be one of our presenters at our upcoming national conference in Orlando, which we now call The Connection. So, Tom, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. Sure, Steve. Happy to do so. Great. So, yeah, so let's start here. Uh, as far as eye care goes, there seems to be a never-ending debate around how many frames should I carry, and practices want to provide a great selection of eyewear while also taking factors such as physical space, frame board appearance, and merchandising into consideration. Um, can you share your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, you know, I think there's um, a couple of pretty important issues to, to think about here. Um, absolutely, we, we want to provide uh, our, our clients, our patients with the, as, as many options as, as possible. But we bump into what um, we call the paradox of choice, which is that uh, people uh, rapidly become overwhelmed by having too many different uh, choices. So um, it, it, it's critical, I think, in terms of the, the selection that you're offering, um, that, that the, the, the doctor, the, the, the opticians to, who are working together, first of all, understand who their clientele is and think carefully about um, what are the things that are going to be appealing uh, to, to their specific clientele. I mean, every uh, practice is going to have a, a very different kind of population that they're going to be dealing with with. Um, and uh, some things will be appropriate, other things will not. So I think it's critical for, for uh, our, our, our practices to um, pre-select, if you will, to curate the selection and to remember that we need to um, reduce in some way the, the, the choice uh, criteria for, for, for our customers. Um, simply put, if we overwhelm them with every possible configuration or, or type of product out there, um, it, it, it's just overwhelming for them. And uh, there's any number of uh, studies that I could point to uh, in, in research uh, that, that uh, you know, bear this out. And there's an there's a excellent book uh, on this very topic. It's called The Paradox of Choice, um, which I strongly encourage everybody uh, uh, if they're uh, um, kind of a, a nerdly researcher like me, uh, they would might be interested in in this. Um, so, you know, I think this is kind of segues into another really important uh, issue, and that that you you touched on this in in your question, which is uh, in regards to to merchandising. Um, you know, one of the critiques that I'll I offer here is that. Um, uh, very often, I, I find that optical uh, retail and merchandising is a sea of sameness. Um, you know, it's it's basically a wall of frames um, that oftentimes is the way it's presented to to our our patients, to our customers. Um, and there's there's a very there's nothing interesting or, or sexy about it. 
Um, and, you know, I come from a world of uh, retail research. And, you know, one of the elements that we evaluate all the time is the, the concept of visual merchandising. And I'll, I'll be talking about this in, in much greater detail uh, in, in my, my talk at, at the conference. Um, but, you know, there's some, some pretty important ideas that you need to think about in terms of um, how you display the frames that you, you've, uh, you've got um, uh, in terms of uh, thinking about uh, ways to uh, provide some visual rest, if you will, uh, creating um, what we call an oasis in that sea of frames, a sort of a, you know, a desert island somewhere where the eye can rest. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that this idea or the question about how many frames that should I carry is, is a really critical one. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess it gets back to, first of all, understanding who your, your customers are, what are the things that are going to be appealing to them? Um, you know, looking back in, in your history, what has sold, uh, what's not sold? Uh, you know, that, that's critical. Um, thinking about what's on the horizon, what are the new things that are coming out? There's always new interesting uh, designs coming in. What is it that's going to probably be appealing to, to your population uh, and what's not? I think those are kind of the, the high-level things that, that we, uh, we probably should take into consideration. Yeah, it's an interesting term, the paradox of choice. I've used that a lot. Uh, reminds me of the study. The one I'm most familiar with is the JAMS. Mm -hmm. Where they the number yep. they reduced the number that they were selling and sales actually went up and uh, familiar with some other studies as well where they actually backed off some of the the selection and it made the decision process much easier for the uh, for the consumer. Exactly. So there's another uh, classic one uh, on tooth on toothbrushes uh, yeah. as well, uh, and the same kind of finding. Exactly. So. So Tom, from a consumer experience standpoint. Um, what are some ways practices could improve this through appealing to people's senses, things like visual, auditory touch? For example, uh, how important are things like background music and smells to the buying experience? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think that there's a number of different points of view on this, and I, I think it has to do with the, the this needs to be driven by individual practice choice, I think, first and foremost. And I, I, I think that everyone needs to find the balance that's right for them. Um, in some environments, and it, you know, you, you, we have to think about the environment, the physical environment of your practice. How big is it? Um, what is the area like? Uh, what are the surfaces that are in your environment? Um, I'm particularly thinking about this in terms of sound. Um, in so many environments, um, we kind of, uh, and, and this is my opinion, and I've seen it borne out in, in some, some of the research we've done, is that um, there's sort of the ubiquitous soundtrack of America that is constantly playing everywhere we go. And there's never a moment for us to rest. So um, I think the, the second point that I'd like to make about, about sound or music is uh, you have to think about what's appropriate. It goes back to what I was saying before. Who are your customers? You know, if you've got a, if you're serving a senior population, you know, uh, classic rock may be just right, right, uh, given who's a senior nowadays, um, you know. Uh, but if, if you're serving a young uh, urban population, 
golly, that, that may not be right. That, that could really be the wrong choice. So um, you also, uh, one of the important things we always talk about in terms of music and soundtrack is day parting. You know, in, in most uh, retail, um, you can predict pretty accurately who's going to be in the store when, right? Um, you know, our, our seniors, our retirees, uh, they're going to be there on a Monday or Wednesday morning. Um, but on a Saturday, uh, geez, population is probably going to change dramatically. After school, it's going to change dramatically. That's when we're going to get a younger population in. Um, and we need to think about that. Young, uh, you know, millennial moms with, with kids, um, you know, what is the music that's appropriate for them? Because um, one of the, the dilemmas that I, I've seen so often is that the choice of music is being made based upon the employees. Oh, yeah, I'm here all day. Tom likes to listen to the Eagles, okay? Um, geez, that's just not appropriate because guess what? All of the people coming in are millennials. The, the Eagles are the old man's band. Who wants to listen to that junk, right? Um, so, you know, it, it's often the person who sits there eight hours a day who controls the, 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 the playlist on the soundtrack, um, and that's a dangerous thing. So just word on that. Um, smell. I, I think scent is a really very fascinating uh, topic. Um, it is one of the most prevalent and profound and impactful of our senses. Um, and, and we don't really think about it too much. Now, um, obviously, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if your store stinks, uh, it's nobody wants to be there. And, you know, we, we have to be, you know, uh, clear about that. Consequently, I, I mean, on, on the other end of the spectrum, if it's too perfumey, that's going to drive some people out as well. So, um, you know, there's, there are a number of different kinds of systems that are used in retail um, that actually pump scent into uh, environments. A number of the large brands that we work with have actually branded scents that uh, I think the hotels are the ones. I mean, Weston has an absolute scent. If you go into a Weston hotel, you won't mistake it. It's always that that hotel smells the same always. Um, so it is powerful, um, but it's care you got to be careful with this, right? Uh, so just your your standard uh, Glade plug-in, you know, that may not be exactly what you want to use, right? It could be too too flowery, too perfumey, uh, and so forth. So um, I. I I think it's important. I don't think that there's a magic bullet that I can point to, um, but I do say, you know, uh, approach with caution, I guess, is, is the best way to, to say it. Finally, I, I do also want to touch on lighting. I think lighting is critical. Um, lighting uh, can, can make, it, make or break it. Um, one of the uh, important things is to consider out exterior light and natural light in your environment. You know, one of the things that I remember in an early study that I did in, in a, one of the chain op, optical stores uh, was looking at sunglass merchandising. And, and the stores that we were looking at had, had very little, if any, exterior light. Um, and so it was actually very difficult for people to actually test sunglasses in that kind of environment. So, um, and we also know that from a psychological point of view, having a vision to the outside world is really critical in terms of people's psychology. It makes them much more comfortable and relaxed to be able to see the outside world. It's a, uh, there's a phenomenon I can 
call it, but just trust me on this. Um, and and so um, I think if it's all possible, encourage uh, bringing out, outside light into your environment. Finally, the, the, the other thing I want to talk about is spotlighting. Within the context of your visual merchandising, be able to use highly focused spotlights and and this can be done very simply with little halogen lights or uh you know uh, led uh, uh spotlights uh it doesn't have to be fancy or expensive but it can just be track lighting that you can focus yourself um on specific things so on a frame wall if you've got a new frame a line that you want to profile or or, or promote geez a, a, a little spotlight on it can really pop it out from everything that surrounds it so um, lighting is another thing you really want to pay attention to i remember reading a story about a supermarket that every time you walked in would you would immediately smell freshly baked bread mm -hmm. and the supermarket had no bakery <laughs> they would just pump these smells in it was mm -hmm. just interesting uh use of smells even when they were somewhat artificially uh manufactured or brought in so we've discussed some things regarding the interior of the practice but I like to ask about the exterior as well. And I, I've consulted with some doctors who struggle to attract new patients. And when I looked at the exterior or exterior of the practice, I saw a building or storefront that did not look very appealing. And for doctors considering building or moving to a new location, what are some things that they should focus on to get people to want to walk through their doors? Well, you know, I, this is a great question, and and I, I'm going to talk about this quite a bit in my my, my presentation, and have some some uh, pretty I think some pretty interesting things to share. You know, the first question you got to ask yourself is what kind of environment are you in, right? Are you a, a destination or are you a, uh, a, a sort of a dry a walk up kind of environment? In other words, are you in a strip mall? I'll just put it very simple terms. Are you in a strip mall where people drive up and park directly in front of your store? Okay, that's that's one thing. Are you on an urban street uh, where you've got a lot of foot traffic walking past the front of your store? Are you on a mall which is in many ways functions like an urban uh, central business district location. Um, so each of those kinds of environments has a different demand in terms of your, your storefront. So the question I always ask is to, it's a rhetorical question for your audience, where does your store start? You know, I, I can remember uh, asking this to uh, one proprietor and he goes, oh, well, Tom, he's in a mall situation. He goes, Tom, come over. He says, this is the lease line right here and my store is there and that's the mall concourse. And I'm like, well, yes, but no, uh, your store really starts where people have the first vision of it or they can first see your store. So where are they coming from? What is their angle of approach, if you will? Um, you know, very often uh, people are approaching you at an oblique angle. In other words, like a mall concourse or down a, a city street and your store is to their side. Whereas if you're a drive up destination, people are walking straight up to your store. So that's something for you to think about. And how does your storefront function differently? The, the, the second thing I really want to talk about is your windows. 
And um, what is that that you're showing the world? Uh, you know, um, one of the the critiques that I often uh, have to make about stores is that um, stores are very inward looking, right? Um, that uh, and I, I've had some over the years captured some incredible photos of stores that basically turn their back on the outside world, um, which is really um, you know, obviously not a great <laughs> retail practice. Um, so you need to think about what is it you want your windows to do? Who's the audience? Where are they coming from? What is their, I would call your windows window of opportunity. In other words, how long do you have to actually communicate to someone? What is their proximity to your window? How close are they when you can start to communicate with them? That can dictate scale issues for you in your window about how large or small do you need to communicate. Finally, the thing that I really want to stress with everybody is the idea of sight lines into the store. Now, here's this is a really critical uh, finding from our years of, of doing retail research is that people are much more likely to look into a store if they can see other people in the store. I mean, it's simply put, we're a social species. We're very interested in other people. Uh, Steve, if, if I gave you the opportunity to look at an inanimate object, a poster or a, a, a photograph or something, versus looking at living, breathing human beings are actually moving around in space, uh, what, what do you think you're going to look at first? Yeah, the people. Yeah, abs absolutely. Real people. Be that's right. I mean, we, we are interested in other people. And so consequently, what, what's most likely to capture someone's attention as they're moving in front of your store is that they see one of your opticians working with a, with a client, fitting them with their glasses. That's because that's two people. There's a drama about that. That's, that's something that's fascinating to people, whether they know it or not, it, it, it captured their attention. So with posters or frame boards or what have you. Great, great. Um, yeah, on the technology front, um, technology is obviously impacting the healthcare space as well. And in some cases, it's beneficial. And in some cases, it's been very disruptive, especially in, um, in the eye care space. What are some ways that you've seen technology used in things like fixturing and displays and customer interactions? Well, you know, let me just tell you a little story about this, and, and I hope it might illustrate a point. Um, we were doing some research for a, a shoe uh, retailer, okay? And, um, you know, everywhere in retail today, it's all about what's called omni-channel, right? So it's because, of course, retail is being threatened by Amazon and the Internet, and so stores are needing to, uh, it's uh, clicks versus bricks is uh, what it's called in, in the retail trade. And so uh, this uh, retailer um, had been uh, working with their agency and, and basically they created their um, omni-channel store. And so they put, basically what they had done is taken a, a bunch of iPads and put them on fixtures around the store and they had little loops on them and um, you could kind of select various different style of shoe and you could, you know, it was basically almost like emulating the internet and you could uh, not, you couldn't actively shop from it um, per se, but it could give you information about the various different uh, shoes. Well, we went in and, and studied this store and what we found was that nobody used these devices at all. 
And we came back, and we, we shared this with the retailer, and they said, well, no, you, you, you got to be absolutely wrong because we get data from the devices that tells us that a lot of people are, are touching these things. And I said, well, oh, okay, just a minute. Um, you know, we don't factor in anyone under the age of about 10 into our, we, if we see a kid playing with it, we, we, we don't count that because they're not really shopping there. They're not really using it. So the data that you're capturing is probably all of that babysitting that's going on in the store. But I said, at the end of the day, let's step back a minute and, and ask ourselves, a, a, I think, a rather important question. You sell shoes. What is it you want to do? What, what is it that you want your customers to do? Do you want them playing with the device or do you want them touching the shoes? And I think we all understand we want them to touch the shoes. And so to bring this back to the optical retail world, I suggest we want people to be touching the frames, to be picking them up, to trying them on, to looking at themselves in that mirror. That's critical. Now, some of the technology that I've seen in, in the optical space that is, I think, very helpful are these kind of magic mirror devices that allow people to be able to see what they look like in various different frames. Because if people are like me, my eyesight is dreadful. If I'm trying on a pair of, of, of glasses with no lenses, I literally have to almost have my nose touching the mirror to see what I look like. So, um, you know, being able to capture your image with various different frames, then put my glasses back on and see what I'd look like in those various different frames. Um, that, that can be a really effective uh, tool. Great piece of technology. Great, great. Um, you know, on the topic of selling, this is something that comes up quite a bit, especially pertaining to opticians. And oftentimes, there's just not much sales training for opticians. There, in general, there there tends to be training around the technical aspects of a job. Here's how to adjust a pair of frames. Here's how to submit a uh, an insurance claim. Uh, Sometimes there's training around the customer service aspects of the job, but in most optometry practices, there's really not very much, if any, sales training. However, uh, oh, I in there. Yeah, okay, back. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're back. Okay, sorry about sorry. that. So, yeah, so the oftentimes there's not a lot of sales training for the opticians, and as I was mentioning, this is a role that that demands strong selling skills to be successful. What are some of the top traits that you see in people who are successful at selling? You know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing. I, you know, it's, there's a couple of, I believe, and this is, you know, Tom's personal opinion is that there's a, a couple of really critical factors here. The first is, um, you know, not everyone is, 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 a, is, is prepared, is, is emotionally uh, prepared to be a good salesperson. Right. Um, in essence, what, what I think really constitutes a good salesperson is someone who's interested in other people. So, and, and, and this is one of the dilemmas we get into, you know, sometimes people are really good at the technical aspects, as you, you suggest, and, you know, they're much more into process or, or um, technologies or, or the technical aspects of uh, adjusting frames or, you know, all of that. Um, but the, the, the keys that I believe that are important to selling are, first of all, knowing the right questions to ask of our customer and being interested in them. And, and you know, just as a normal, as, as just think about, 
I guess it, it's it kind of, I want everybody, first of all, to go back to the to golden rule is that, you know, think about treating others as you would like to be treated. What is it that makes you comfortable in an environment? Um, and that's how we have to approach our customers. So in other words, knowing, first of all, arming our, our, our frontline staff with the kinds of questions that they um, need to be able to ask of others, right, of, of our patients as they come in. Questions about their lifestyle, questions about um, some of their uh, stylistic and, and their, their fashion needs, or a variety of different kinds of questions about themselves. Because, you know, the truth, of course, is everybody likes to talk about themselves. So, um, you know, if you get the, the, the client talking about themselves, telling you about what their interests are, um, geez, all of a sudden you're breaking down, breaking down barriers there. The second thing is active listening, right? And, you know, I think we all have seen this where you're talking to somebody and their eyes are glazing over and they're looking over your shoulder at something else. And, you know, who knows, they're thinking about dinner tonight. Um, that's not really helpful. Um, and so we need to encourage people in, in, in the art of active listening. That is paying attention to what the other person is saying, repeating something that they say and adding to it, right? So, oh, he said, um, I'm really, I'm really into watching football. And you know, for football, you know, that's a really active kind of uh, uh, visual experience. You know, here's some things you need to consider about glare protection. Okay, so what's happened in that? I, by saying that, I've acknowledged that I've heard what the other person is talking about. And I'm bringing it back to the reality of what our conversation is about here. It's about what kind of, uh, what kind of eyewear is going to be helpful for you in that experience. So, so those are a couple of, of uh, really uh, critical things. I, the other thing I do want to touch on here is um, the whole idea, and, and I'll talk about this in my, in my talk, is um, what we call nose-to-nose versus hip-to-hip. Okay. So, and, you know, in the dispensing world, in opticians, it's tough because I know when you're fitting glasses, you have to be nose to nose. I have to sit across from you and, uh, you know, fit those frames on your face. And that's critical. And then and I, and our patients understand that. and They know that. But in the selling process, the, a frame wall or the way um, our, our, our stores are uh, set up encourages what we call hip to hip. That is, I'm standing next to you and we're both looking at a pair of frames. This is psychologically what this does is it goes from confrontation to collaboration. And this is a really kind of, it's a subtle thing. Um, but the more often in a selling kind of environment, not a consultative environment, but a selling environment or a selling, uh, shall we say, moment, uh, a selling function, that collaborative hip-to-hip relationship is much more, uh, it, it, it's easier for people. And, and it, it's, it, it breaks down this idea that I'm confronting you and I'm trying to sell you something. Rather, the two of us are talking uh, about this third object together. So, so those are some ideas uh, in terms of uh, sales techniques. Yeah, that's interesting. This, 
actually, this is a, an area of interest of mine. And what I tend to see in people who are better at quote unquote selling is that oftentimes they are taking that approach you mentioned in, and sometimes I think it might even be kind of a mindset shift for some people that if they could just make the shift, I think they'd be more comfortable selling and, and kind of referring to the people that have kind of an aversion to selling. But I think people who are selling genuinely, they're genuinely interested in helping others. They, they feel like they're really helping someone else and, and, and it doesn't feel like selling anymore. And I think if people can kind of make that shift, then they could perhaps overcome their own aversion um, to selling because that's something we'll hear a lot with uh, with opticians, with associate doctors, is they're not comfortable with that part of the of the job. But it's uh, it it can be a good thing, <laughs> as if you know, as if it's something negative. But you're helping someone get what they need, and just happens to be a win-win, mutually beneficial uh, scenario. But I, I think some of it is in how you approach it from a, a mental standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were talking before about the impact of seeing others, being able to look inside. Uh, the windows and see other people interacting, seeing an optician adjusting frames or working with someone to pick out a, a pair of frames. When I graduated optometry school, uh, many private practice ODs very much aligned with the more of a clinical business model and just happened to sell eyewear. While the corporate opticals really led with the retail component. And over the years, private practice has more willingly embraced this retail model under the realization that the Optical comprises the majority of revenue for many practices, and and that being the case, can you offer some tips on how to more effectively think like a retailer? Oh yeah, I I, I think you know the 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 first thing that we have to I always want to suggest to people is that the the goal of retail of a successful retailer is that they're controlling the customer's experience at every moment. In other words, they've thought through what the needs are and what the pain points are from their customer's experience point of view at every moment through their journey through your store. And so, you know, what I want everybody to do is to take a minute and and just watch. You know, this is one of the things I, I often will say to my retail clients is, I want you to come at the front of your store and I want you to stand there for 10 minutes and do nothing else than watch what happens, right? Now, all most of us are so busy. We're so caught up, forest for the trees kind of thing here, where we're involved in the day-to-day operations of the kind of thing. And I'm like, no, stand still. Don't pick up the gum wrapper. Leave it there. Watch what happens. Just watch people. And observe where people are having fun, where people are not having fun, where are the problems? What are what are the the, the issues that happen in the store? Um, what are the things that take people out of what we call shopping reverie? Right? You know, there's this kind of thing that goes on when people are into shopping. They're they're kind of lost in space. They're lost in time. They're they're involved in thinking about oh, how would that frame look on me, or how would that frame look on my husband? You know that they're in another place, and that's we want them to be doing that. And then what is it that breaks them out of that? So, so think about your customer's experience everywhere through your store. And, and in that, I want you to start to also think about what happens in those various different zones of your store. 
and I'll go into this in great detail in, in the talk about what, what happens in the entries, entryway. What is the, it's, we call it the decompression zone. What happens there? Um, what happens in waiting areas? That's critical. I mean, I know in, in most of these uh, optical stores, that waiting is something that's going to happen. How do we accommodate waiting? What happens to people in that waiting time? What happens to the um, uninvolved uh, company? In other words, if someone comes in with someone else who's not actively shopping, what happens to them? You know, if, if the kids are acting up, you know, obviously that takes mom out of her shopping reverie. Um, if, you know, the, the partner has come along and is not engaged in the shopping process, um, that can take the shopper out of, out of their shopping reverie. So um, think about what, you know, what, what goes on in waiting. What about that dispensing moment? You know, that's critical. Um, how does that happen? Um, you know, how do we get to our exam rooms? And I'm not even going to go into what happens in the exam room. That's, uh, you know, probably I have my opinions about that, but it's, I'm not qualified, I guess to speak about that, but certainly our ODs need to be thinking about that, about their, in essence, bedside or chairside manner, uh, about how they're dealing with their patients there. So um, as I call it, I want you to take off your operational blinders. In other words, don't think about the store uh, from your point of view, think about it from the customer's point of view. Lot to think about, Tom. This is good stuff, though. Very, very interesting. Um, thanks again for for taking the time to chat here with us. Uh, this has been great. I'm really looking forward to hearing you talk more about this at the IDOC Connection, uh, which will be taking place in Orlando, Florida, from January 30th to February 2nd. And it's uh, been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Look forward to hearing more from you at the at the Connection. Great, Steve. It's always it's always great to talk to another Hoosier, and uh, you know uh, we'll have to uh, talk about that some more down in Florida. Plan on it. Thanks, Tom. Have a great night. Okay. Thank you, Steve. Bye bye.